0: This is 10 Questions to Cyber Resilience, brought to you by Assurance IT. Released twice per month, every episode brings you one step closer to cyber resilience by hearing how IT leaders are practicing cybersecurity. Resources mentioned in the episode can be found in the show notes. If you're ready to take your cyber resilience to the next level, be sure to subscribe so you can catch every episode. Thanks for
1: joining us here today, Laurent, on our podcast. Really excited to have you on. Let's go ahead and start, Laurent. Who are you? What do you do? And what got you to where you are today?
2: So my name is Laurent Lezonnier. I'm a vice president at GoSecure. I manage two teams. So I manage the incident response team as well as the penetration testing team. So I have a team that breaks into building applications that does all the hacking stuff. Whereas I have a team that answers these problems and tries to solve it on behalf of our client. So that's basically it, what I'm doing. I've been doing this for 15 to 20 years, depending how you count. And I've been also been lucky to be allowed to teach. So I've taught this to, uh, in three universities in Montreal. So that's pretty much all there is. And who do you work for today, Laurent? I, I work for GoSecure, which is a MXDR and a service company. So we're doing pen testing and also managing XDR. So managing all the endpoints and making detection and response.
1: I noticed that if I look back at your profile, you've been doing this a very long time and you're actually a pretty young guy. So it's pretty interesting. You've probably seen a a tremendous evolution of security happen over the years. First question I have for you is a lot of people talk about ethical hacking. So can can Laurent really simplify? What is ethical hacking? So ethical
2: hacking, ethical is at least important, if not much more so than hacking. So what we're doing mostly is being hired to break into a system and we do it based on what are called rules of engagement. So we make sure we follow, we respect the rules. We don't actually break things for the client. And that's what we're doing. The ethical aspect though is super important. Think about the level of trust the company needs to have in you to allow you to perform these type of tests or get access to passport data or get access to social security numbers. As a tester, you need to be above doubt and above suspicion for any form of testing. And that's the only way you can get business is by being above reproach and above any doubt regarding your ethical integrity.
1: So in ethical hacking, there's the hacking part and the ethical part, and some of it is what we're doing. And in your opinion, ethical hacking, does this apply to small business, large business? Who should be taking on or actually requesting an ethical hacking service?
2: Nowadays, we see more and more pen testing performed across all systems. Uh, it started more in the where it was money. So banks, for example, like early 2000, mostly banks and militaries were performing pen testing. Now with compliance framework and people say Bill 25 in Quebec, but there's one in the British Columbia as well that now makes it mandatory to have protection. There's GDPR. That, so now there's more and more privacy-based compliance rules and laws that is one reason why there is more and more pen testing. Same for credit card data compliance based, like PCI, for example, that also makes pen testing mandatory for these industries. So I think the main drive across organization for pen testing is still compliance, but we're seeing now more and more companies doing risk management. They don't want to do it just to comply to the framework, but they want to do it to find their actual risk and be able to find ways to mitigate these problems
1: mitigate their risk. We see that often now. Oftentimes, you mentioned compliance. We're seeing a lot more from the cyber insurance perspective, where cyber insurance companies are forcing companies who may not have the same maturity level as those companies you mentioned earlier. The cyber insurance companies are forcing enterprises to just become more mature. And Mm -hmm. and ethical hacking is obviously a, a fundamental way for companies to really get an understanding of where they are in their process. Is correct. that an accurate
2: statement? It's absolutely correct. Insurance has been a big driver, but there's a big change in cyber insurance. I think the industry is becoming more mature. And a few years ago, it was you signed a contract, sent a file, you were done. Now there's much more audits to subscribe to cyber insurance. And I think it's a good thing that all these controls are in place. Better prevent- yeah,
1: I agree with that. And to your point, I think it's going to be more difficult and I think there's going to be more rigor. And I think it won't be one time a year where you sign off. It'll be multiple times a year and then on a regular basis to make sure that you're actually put it, keeping those controls in place. I think that's where we're going to see more. I don't think the insurance companies have what it takes to do that repetitively, often enough and to make sure that their customers are in line. But I think at some level, we're going to see more of that. I want to stick in the ethical hacking vein because you and I obviously raised in, in Quebec here, and there's a very famous individual, who I guess maybe made ethical hacking a little bit famous uh, earlier on. And uh, so uh, ethical hackers sometimes get a bad reputation and we have a local famous character named Mafia Boy. For those who don't know, maybe, can you remind us what Mafia Boy did and how he impacted the industry today?
2: So Michael Calce, aka Mafia Boy was a teen in ill Bizard Montreal who performed de- denial of service on many systems. Yahoo was very big at the time and Yahoo was down thanks to his efforts. Same for eBay was also down. So he brought down lots of systems using distributed denial of service. If I had to qualify the threat, Michael Calce was on the lower end of sophistication. He used a tool and... There was little to no privacy impact he didn't show much, although we can all agree impact was high. This is not what I would call ethical hacking, nor ethical, by the way, because there were no prior permission, nor hacking per se, as he mostly used a tool. So there is no discovery, no impact analysis, none of these things. But it's really interesting because when you look into end of the century, so like the 1990s, that's how you got hired. So at that point, if you hacked into NASA and you got caught and you spent a few months or years in jail, then they knew you were good. Obviously, you hacked into NASA. One could argue that if you got caught, perhaps you weren't so good. But at that point, that's how the business worked. Keep in mind, there were no certifications at that point. There was no frameworks of ethics. It was barely known. Now the industry has really evolved. Nowadays, there are CTFs, there are certification, there are mentorship, there are schools, there are bug bounties. There's lots of ways for people to show their skills. But at that time, that's how people got hired, wasn't by breaking into systems. It's a really different, it's not 30 more years ago, but yeah, that's how people got it.
1: Yeah, people forget. So Mafia Boy, I think he hit those companies in, I think, 2000, right? And probably there wasn't the level of sophistication in terms of security as there is today. And to your point, I think his attack was a really low level, not really sophisticated way of attacking systems. That's absolutely correct, and that's how we've seen that the industry evolve over time. We talk a lot about ethical hacking and the industry and the field from my vantage point, and talking with customers and wanting to get your perspective on this. Is there a shortage of talent out there today, as we speak?
2: There's a shortage in ethical hacking, but there's a shortage in governance. There's a shortage in architecture. There's a shortage in sysadmins, in DBAs, in software developers. Yeah, there's lots of shortages, and these things have an impact because say you have your system administrators have more work, then perhaps patching or security configuration will be less of a priority over other things that are either more related to the mission or of the organization or more business critical. So that opens more doors for a hacker. So your threat increases. So not only I feel not enough people to perform these tests and it's difficult to come with the right level of training, but also the lack of the database administrator, system administrator also opens more door. So it's like a catch 22 where the lack of
1: people create the problem. Interesting. And then we see that across the board. So if we look at specifically though, ethical hacking, because we want to educate our audience here, ethical hacking, how has that progressed from your early days till now? Have you seen an uptick or an increase in interest as a domain where it's easy to access the tools? There's obviously a growing community. So maybe talk to us a little yes. bit about how so, ethical hacking has progressed in the community.
2: Uh, let me first say that the community in Canada is amazing. It's really something we ought to be proud of. Now there are many ways to break into computer security and to learn. One problem that I feel is what is called gatekeeping. So since security is considered to be very important or mission critical, we quite often see job posting for a entry-level pen tester that require five to seven years of experience. And that's a bit insane because after five to seven years, in theory, you're not a beginner anymore. So there's lots of gating. It's quite difficult to break into computer security because of the way these job postings are made. And also because the way people learn, not all pen testers have bachelor degrees. Thankfully, computer security is something that can be learned by on your own with CTF, so capture the flag, so competitions, with bug bounties, with training online, like Hack the Box, for example, that's a website where you can learn to hack systems. So there's lots of ways for people to learn it by themselves and be very good despite not having a bachelor or master degrees. But with HR, oftentimes it doesn't match that the requirement oftentimes are for diplomas and this is not what all typical pen testers have. There's also certifications. I'm a big proponent of a certification called OSCP, the Offensive Security Certified Professional. It's a hands-on exam and all the testers in my team our OSCPs. It's a requirement for my team because it's hands-on, so it sets the level, but that's one way also to learn. But there are also communities. So in Montreal, there's Montreal Hack. That's a monthly security training evening. There are DEF CON 416 in Toronto. There's a very big community in Vancouver as well. So there's lots of groups where you can learn. Now there's mentor and mentoree. In Quebec, we have Academos where we have lots of people who are there to help answer questions and be a mentor. There are mentorship opportunities as well. So there's lots of ways to get to know people and get to know the business. And there's also special interest groups. There's ISACA for people doing audit. There's OWASP. There's OWASP Toronto. There's OWASP Ottawa, for example, that are groups that focus on AppSec. That is also a good way to learn and get to know people.
1: Yeah, you shared a lot of information and what we'll do is I'll probably ask you to send us some of those links so we can include them in the post because it's important. I didn't know it was such a huge community out there and it is a really important role in the enterprise today. And I'll just touch on something you said. So you're big on certifications. Frankly, I believe the same thing. Obviously school going through the proper channels and in the school obviously is really important. But I think in our field, if you're not constantly improving yourself, you can get outdated pretty quickly. So those yes. certifications are proving to your to your employer and to your clients that you're able to keep up with the industry trends because they are ever changing as we've seen in our in but our but it's business. one way.
2: So sometimes training as well is a way that doesn't necessarily certification. But say when I look at the resume, things for me that are a big plus are capture the flag experience. So CTFs, I briefly talked about it. It's a hacking competition where you get to hack things legally that are made to be hacked. And so there are lots of competition. One is very big in Montreal called NordSec. There's Defcon. There's quite a few. So for me, having hands-on CTF experience is something I'm looking at, but also like GitHub. So if you have a GitHub or GitLab account, and you commit code and you make changes, shows your skill. You're not just saying, I'm a developer. We can read your code, we can see what you've done. Being in the community is also something that I look at. And these are all techniques where you can show growth. It's also a common interview question, how do you keep up to date in IT security? I pretty much ask it in every interview and you get interesting answers. The one you don't wanna answer is, Oh, I don't know. I don't need to or don't follow. Not a good
1: answer. It makes your day a lot easier and a lot quicker. I can understand that. When did you participate in your first Capture the Flag? In 2000, was there a lot of these? uh, When did they start coming into light?
2: So the team I was with and myself started perhaps early 2007, I think. So there was a competition in Montreal called Boule de Cristal. We did a competition in Germany that was very difficult. uh, I was at ETS or local university in Montreal, but... The the competition was in Germany. It was insane, I think. There were 300 teams, and I think we finished like 295 or something. We were really bad at that point. And we grew from this. We did the Firefox CTF, we were finished first. We did the DEF CON quals, so those are very large competitions. And then we started doing more and more. At some point, we did one every other weekend, roughly, and that's how we kept doing CTF. Now I'm an organizer of CTF. Now I'm on the other side.
1: Congratulations. It looks like you're really involved in the community. And I think we need more individuals like that, dedicated people, because I think it's a win-win. First of all, obviously you're giving back to the community, but if you're looking for talent, you're in the mix of it all the time, right? So you know who the top players could potentially be, which is amazing. As an ethical hacker, obviously you don't start off day one as ethical hacker. I think, as you mentioned, you need to build your experience. So what does a career look like and what can an ethical hacker earn on average? I know it's a tough question, but if you can answer that. So
2: these amounts are set in Canada because in the United States or with very large companies, I know that the Microsoft of these worlds or the Amazon of these worlds sometimes have much bigger salary. But in Canada, roughly, an entry-level pen tester will do roughly 70 to 75,000 a year. Mid-level, I'd say 100, 110. And I think the more senior, 10, 15 years, it might go up to 160,000 a year, roughly. Very good up- living. There are out, it's okay. There are outliers though, for example, bug bounty. So bug bounty is when some companies pay you to hack. They only pay if you find something. And we have ex-employees who now are doing surf and doing bug bounty. Half the time they're like doing surf and having a very good life living, and it's much higher than this. That's roughly the salary you can expect. Again, there are outliers for very large companies.
1: Yeah, those are good numbers, especially if you mention entry level to very senior. So it's a pretty big gap. But I think in IT, in any field, with experience, I think we're duly paid for what we do. And I think organizations are starting to see the real value IT professionals, especially in the security business. Again, we want to encourage more folks to get into the security space. Absolutely, yes. So it leads me to my last question, my last point. But mentioned earlier, you were a lecturer. In university the, and schools. This is my opinion and I'd like to get yours. I think we're not s- devoting or dedicating enough education at the lower levels of school, of the institutions, to start putting this into the children's curriculum at some level. I think cybersecurity, maybe not necessarily cybersecurity, but security in general about the digital security, I think needs to be employed more in the educational institutions. You live there. You obviously spent some time there lecturing. What's your opinion about that? And what can we do better to get more into the educational system?
2: It's a very interesting talk. I'll try to break it in subcategories. So I was very impressed about what people learn in primary and high school now. There are programming classes and robotics classes. It's mostly entry-level, but being familiar with programming languages is the cornerstone of IT security to be able to craft your own systems. So in order to have very qualified internet citizens, giving them their skills early is a very good thing. And this is fairly recent. We have yet to see what's going to be the impact later on because those people who are in high school, they're not on the market yet. I know there's a really big increase into giving these type of training in robotics and programming. The people will play with Arduinos and Raspberry Pi at a very early age. And I think this is a really exciting, it will change the market in a few years. Interesting now, perspective. As, yeah. as for security, there are two I've been asked several times to give classes for privacy and intimate picture exchange. Because in high school, that's a problem oftentimes, but it's more about privacy and awareness. So it's not very technical. It's more about be mindful of what you're doing, privacy online and these type of things. But it's something that I'm asked a few times a year already. And believe me, the kids are smart. It's a little bit awkward at first. It's an intimate subject, but the students are interested and they ask smart questions and they understand really well I think it would be a mistake to underestimate their interest and their capacity to learn in that regard. But turning them in security, at some point, I feel that security is amazing, but we don't want to scare people into dealing with all these amazing technology and programming and the web and making queries. So I think while there should be more awareness and more than just have a good password and have your patches on, but more about what phishing looks like and what to do when you have phishing or what's important not to run as admin or like more targeted advice. I think at least let the kids be kids and perhaps wait a little bit longer into giving the internet scary part. Just, I think we can wait a bit, but give them IT training and that's what they're doing in high school. And I'm very happy about this.
1: Yeah, I like that. I like that. I never looked at it in that perspective. So the IT training is the foundation and not necessarily have to give them all the ugly, scary stuff. Correct. I, I, That's I my opinion. Okay. No, interesting. But you're right. I think if we give them the fundamentals of understanding uh, at least why IT is important, how it enables them in their everyday life. But I think there's the aspect of privacy, which I think without having to get too technical, like you mentioned, if you're describing the risks of not being private or giving too much information out there, I think that alone Without having to get too technical, should put some thought into their brain about keeping some information to themselves because I think and they that's have very where...
2: interesting threat models. Like that's one of the threat model is their parent. Yeah. When you ask questions, when we think about privacy, you and I we think about the online ads, we think about these type of things, but they have a very real business threat model: their parents and their teachers. <laughs> so when you're thinking about this, it gets really interesting really fast. If you can, have a talk with a
1: 12 or 13 years old about their privacy model. It's interesting. It really is. Yeah, you've definitely put some things into my brain today about that. I appreciate that. Laurent, is there anything you want to share before we go here? Because I really want to respect your time. Is there anything you want to say about ethical hacking? What you would recommend if someone wants to get started? What should you do to get started?
2: Ethical hacking has two sides. There's the, oftentimes what we call the AppSec and the networking side. If you want to break into AppSec. There's this amazing book called The Web Application Hacker Endbook Second Edition. That for me is the most amazing book about AppSec. It's hands-on, you can try it on. It's really something I can strongly advise you to read. And I know it's counterintuitive, we're now in 2023, and I'm saying read a book, but it's a very good book. Um, also, there's a website that is free as well called Portswigger Academy, where you can try a lot of these attacks. And you always have three levels like easy, medium and difficult, and the difficult challenges are difficult. So you need to have your thinking cap on. It's a pretty difficult challenge. So these two things, somebody who went through the whole Port Trigger Academy application, for me, somebody I would certainly consider hiring. That's for sure. On the networking side, there are websites like HectaBox that you might want to try. The OSCP really cannot recommend it enough, although it's a bit costly. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much what I would recommend to start into a computer security. And find mentors. Reach out to me. Reach out to you, Luigi. If you, <laughs> I put you on the spot, sorry. But no, if no you're problem, willing, no problem. I think reaching out to seniors, people who know who've done it before. If I may I have a little anecdote for one minute. Please, go ahead. How I got into computer security is things. when I was in high school, you need to pick what do you want to do? And I knew I wanted to break into systems. I didn't know it was a job at that point. And I wanted to talk with people, but I didn't have any contacts in that field. Keep in mind, early 1990s, there were no certifications, there was nothing. So the CISSP certification had just started and the, the list was public. There were eight people who were CISSPs in Canada. As a young kid who barely spoke English, I called these eight numbers saying, hey, I want to do hacking. What do I do next? And I got ignored by seven out of them, but one person answered. And that person, his name is Robert Garrig, Sadly, he's deceased right now. And he was the CSO of the Bank of Montreal. So this guy took two hours with me and just to walk me through the steps of what I should do. Should I do certification? Should I go to university? And it was really worth it. And the reason why I'm in computer security, to be truthful, is thanks to him. If we can have that influence over other people who want to break into that field, I think we have a responsibility to do it.
1: That's an amazing story. Very nice to hear. So there was eight CISSP's in yes. the early 90s in Quebec. Wow. And how many yeah. would you see there? In Canada. how many are there yes. today, roughly? I don't Probably even hundreds. think now
2: it's public. But okay. I'd say roughly perhaps 10,000,
1: 20,000. Oh, wow. That many. Wow. Shows how the industry has grown. Interesting. Laurent, that was a great story. appreciate that. And you know what? If we can definitely be mentors to some of the younger folks out there, I would definitely welcome that. Laurent, you've been an amazing guest. Keep doing what you're doing. I know you're protecting companies on a daily basis and GoSecure is lucky to have you. So I want to thank you again for joining us on the podcast and we will be in touch very soon.
2: Thank you so much.
1: All right, Laurent. Have a great day. Thanks. Bye.
0: Thank you. Thank you for listening to 10 Questions to Cyber Resilience, brought to you by Assurance IT. Assurance IT is in the cybersecurity space, specializing in data protection and compliance. Since 2011, they primarily help mid-sized enterprises in Canada. If you have questions about protecting your data, reach out to us directly at info at assuranceit.ca or visit assuranceit.ca.